0: great to have you here on the Clark Howard show where it's about you learning ideas so you can keep more of what you have and that's what we're doing at clark.com and clarkdeals.com and if you're looking for a deal on supplies you need check out what we're making available to you with our posts at clarkdeals.com so there are so many people who have been just crushed by what coronavirus has done to the economy and you're sitting there with student loans the big problem has been with private student loans because most federal loans are in a payment and interest holiday through september but private loans there's no such protection and people have been just eaten up by what's going on with private loans because the lenders Will destroy you. I mean, they will absolutely eat you up. They are able to um, ruin your credit. They're able to garnish your checking account or your wages very easily. And it's very difficult for you in a situation where you're flat out broke to even file for bankruptcy, although I have something about that for you in a minute. So a number of states have gotten together and organized temporary relief to student loan borrowers and private loans. And I'm expecting more states to join the multi-state compact. The states are California, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington. That is the current list that was put together by Forbes magazine. And what they've done is the states have used their strength to then negotiate temporary protection for borrowers with all the major student loan lenders, somewhere around 20 of them that account for most private student loans in the United States. And what they are doing is you are not going to be reported Two credit bureaus in those states if you contact your lender and tell them you can't pay you're allowed to suspend your payments for three months there will be no late fees they will not report you as delinquent with the credit bureaus and they will not move forward with any debt collection lawsuit against you so remember this is temporary only the state of massachusetts has passed a statute to protect private student loan borrowers. But this is an agreement that these states banding together have been able to reach with the overwhelming number of private student loan lenders. So what do you do if you don't live in one of the states that have reached this agreement with lenders? Call your, find out who your legislator is, state senator or state representative and talk to him or her about the problems you're facing with private student loans. Tell them about the multi-state effort and see if they can work on getting your state to join it. If that's something that's not going to happen in your case what you do instead is contact your lender anyway and say that you've heard that they're offering 90-day payment holidays for people who are out of work. And who knows, you may be able to talk your way into it. There are several of the lenders on this multi-state agreement that on their own have agreed to 90-day forbearance on their loans for private loans. So what hurts is if you don't ask, and it certainly could help if you do ask your lender and then keep records of who you spoke to, what date, what time, and what promises were made to you. Okay, second thing, student loans is an article of faith that's just accepted. Student loans cannot be set aside in a bankruptcy. Well, there are now lawyers that specialize when somebody's flat out tapped out in successfully executing uh bankruptcy for people who have large amounts of student loans they cannot pay now it's still it's not something you can fake you have to really be tapped out broke the standards are very high but there's a article from kiplinger that you should go look for if you were feeling desperate you're overwhelmed by your student loan debt you can't see any way you're ever going to be able to pay them back look for the Kiplinger story on the possibility of you being able to set aside your student loans in bankruptcy. The standards, again, are extremely high. The things you must do, you have to be able to prove with the lawyer's help that you can't maintain even a basic minimal standard of living for yourself and your family and afford the payments. Second, you have to be able to demonstrate that your circumstances are going to continue for a significant time period. And three, you have to show that you've done everything you can to make the payments, but have not been able to. So you have to have this, isn't something you can do yourself, you have to have a lawyer who does this kind of work in order for you to be able to have success potentially in setting aside your student loans, but I want you to know that the possibility does exist. And here on the Clark Howard Show, if you have a question for me, post it at clark.com slash ask. We're getting questions from, I assume, all 50 states around the country, from people who live outside the United States as well. Producers Kim and Joel are alternating, asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have first?
1: Today first is Suzanne from Arizona, and she wants to know what the difference is between a will and a trust.
0: That is a great question. I am a non-lawyer that will answer that question for you. But a will is a function of the state that allows you to set out in a document, as the state requires what you wish to happen at the time of your passing a trust is a very different kind of thing and that a trust is something that passes outside the general process that a state has known as probate when you die with a will or without a will a trust allows for someone to specify your wishes appoint an individual to carry out your wishes, and your assets that you specifically name go into that trust. Generally, it does not become a public record. What you do in your will in many states becomes public record. Setting up trusts is a more expensive thing up front, but is more streamlined at the end. But a trust will require Maintenance over the years as the assets you have may change. Um, A trust can complicate things during your life, but simplify them later. One of the reasons people do a trust is if their will is more likely to be challenged by a disgruntled family member or um, loved one, that a trust more likely is going to make it through successfully without being challenged. Trusts are usually for people who have substantial money and there are times that trusts are used like right now. Very wealthy people because of certain coronavirus statutes are using trusts as a way to pass assets to family members during more favorable conditions that might exist tax-wise later on at the time of their passing. So trusts come in various forms and flavors and the baseline that I look at is if you have a complicated family situation, a lot of disgruntled family members, contentious family members or a lot of money, trust could certainly play a role in your life but should always be done with the skill and the advice of whether to do one with a highly qualified lawyer who does only wills estates and trusts is his or her specialty joel
2: clark laura in georgia says my husband is a federal retiree under the FERS system he's been receiving his pension for five years now due to the financial effects of the pandemic though what are the chances that his pension will be affected or perhaps reduced
0: so uh federal employees are almost certainly secure with their pensions i'm not concerned that uh, federal employees who have retired or approaching retirement are going to have uh, difficulty getting the money that was promised to you. State and local government workers because of the severe effects on the budgets of states from coronavirus and pre-existing shortages of funding for pensions in many states I would say that if somebody has should have nervousness, not necessarily fear, but nervousness, it would be state and local employees either approaching retirement or in retirement. So uh, federal employees, almost certainly both military retirees and federal civil service retirees, I think your pensions are as close to 100% solid as they could be. Kim?
1: Brian in Pennsylvania says, Clark, how do I get MLB TV to refund my money for the 2020 Major League Baseball season? Sadly, they are giving me a prime example of customer no service. They say they're still hoping that baseball will be played, but I'm thinking even if it is, the season's going to be much shorter than what I paid for.
0: So no kidding. And, you know, this is something... I've addressed recently with the baseball teams where Major League Baseball was sued for teams not giving refunds for season tickets or single game tickets. And now each Major League team has published a policy on how people get a refund for games not played. Uh, MLB.com, where um, someone who loves baseball like you or producer Joel, can. I'm surprised, Kim, you didn't have Joel ask a baseball question, <laughs> gets the opportunity to watch every game everywhere and not having access to that not also being able to get refunds is something that is a big topic trending if you look at um what people are complaining about right now with refunds in fact i just pulled up on google and there's question after question can i get a refund on mlb What's the refund policy? And on and on. So, what's going to happen is baseball is going to play. There's no doubt in my mind. There will be baseball. And at the time that the season begins, I think that's when you're going to see refunds happening. But there's on Reddit, there's an entire discussion thread specifically on refunds now people who have insisted and filled out the form requesting a refund have said on the reddit threads that they are actually seeing refunds so if you want to try that route and just refund the whole season at least based on what people are saying on reddit you're going to be able to but ultimately Major League Baseball and every other sports league that plays rough with its fans will find that the fans play rough with it when we return to normal times. It's time for today's Clark Rave in a time that things feel heavy. I want to spend a couple of minutes every show talking about something where a lighthearted moment where people are just really doing neat things and producer Kim You have a friend, lifelong friend, whose five-year-old had a very unusually positive experience. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, my gosh. It was so sweet. And she sent me pictures to boot. So her five-year-old son is named River, and River's learning to write, and he is also obsessed with fire trucks. So she helped him write a letter to their local fire department um, to say thank you for their service. And then yesterday, the local fire department showed up at her house, sirens blazing, so that they could say hi and wave to River in the yard. He was over the moon. <laughs> so sweet. So sweet. So a five-year-old
0: may not remember that forever, but for right now, that's quite a fun, joyful experience.
1: Indeed. And it made his mom cry, so that's always a big deal. Oh.
0: Well, this comes from K E L O T V. In Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and a preteen named Emerson who doesn't have a cell phone. She sends letters to friends and family members, and each envelope is decorated with her own designs. And so she loves writing letters to people, which is a lost art. And she wrote a special letter the other day, and it's to her mail carrier who picks up all her correspondence. She said, I'm Emerson. You may know me as the person that lives here that writes a lot of letters and decorated the envelopes. Well, I wanted to thank you for taking my letters and delivering them. You're very important to me. I make people happy with my letters, but you do too. And so I think that's really, really kind. The letter carrier, 30-year veteran, shared the letter with his supervisor and then it ended up as a good morning America story how about that see there's actually something that can still happen in the analog world with an 11 year old who's not buried in a cell phone great to have you here on the Clark Howard show where it's all about you and your wallet I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I'd like to express my gratitude to the very hardworking teams at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com now rolling out new content for you night and day, seven days a week. So there's been a big backlash in the U.S. about the joint effort by Apple and Google. I mean, you know, it's like, Um, if you wonder if it's the end of times when Apple and Google these arch rivals work together wow I mean it is a different era but coronavirus has brought them together in what is a very great public service that Americans so far hate so what the two of them have done is they have developed a joint app that will allow the great mass of people with iPhones and Androids to be able to help identify early people who may have been exposed to coronavirus, reduce the number of people they might infect, and save an enormous number of lives and as icing on the cake help the economy come back quicker than it would otherwise. But so many people are so freaked out about the privacy issues particularly we're getting to medical privacy here with apple and google where big tech in the united states has had a very poor record of protecting people's privacy that now people are really afraid about what would happen if you permit your phone to be part of the coronavirus tracking system this is something I'm all over and I think would be great but there's been such a lack of public confidence I mean absolute revulsion that polling shows very few people are willing to do this well let me tell you something contact tracing is one of the two most important steps to reduce the number of people who end up getting coronavirus and dying from it and has so much to do with economic recovery. So let me take you to the nuts and bolts of this. Google and Apple designed jointly a system where the Bluetooth and phones when somebody tests positive for coronavirus that if they use this app that they would be able to notify the app that they did have a positive test for coronavirus. Then the system would automatically inform anybody you had passed by, been in a workplace with, a shopping center, a supermarket, anywhere you'd been over the last two weeks, and notify them not that you had coronavirus, because they likely don't even know who you are, but let them know that somebody who they passed close by has tested positive for coronavirus. And then that gives you the heads up to go have a test, which is the other key part of us controlling the spread of coronavirus and the loss of lives. So this is something that because of people's fear, Apple and Google have come up with a design that will ban location tracking by any other app on an iPhone or Android with the data that Apple and Google are collecting for this. And we have got to, if we're going to get our economy fully back and we're going to do so without losing a few million lives in our nation, we're going to have to go to the successful and time-tested public health protocol of testing, tracing, and isolating. That's core and key to us having a vibrant economy again, absent having a treatment that we know works widely and can be adopted widely, or having a vaccine that works effectively and can be uh, disseminated widely. So I recommend if you can overcome your concerns about Apple or Google doing something really rotten with the data, know that wide adoption of this will lead to widespread saving of lives and reduce the number of people who get coronavirus, which is what we all want. Now, if you have a question for me, by the way, I know that might also generate unhappiness you can go to clark.com slash clark stinks and let me know why you're unhappy with me for supporting this apple and google initiative Uh, but also if you have a question for me go to clark.com slash ask producers kim and joel are alternating asking your questions kim who do you have Clark, it's me. So oh,
2: sorry, Joel. No
0: worries. I, I diss you that way over and over again.
2: <sighs> I'm not going to lie. It hurts, but I'll get through it. I'll get through <laughs> it. Uh, Karen in Alaska says, Clark, can I use our PPP loan to pay bonuses to our staff?
0: As long as the individual does not make the equivalent in a month of more than $8,300 in that month. So you have a situation where all employees are capped for PPP purposes well I'll say that a few times at a ceiling of a hundred grand a year so any pay and bonuses you pay someone during the 60 days as long as it adds up to less than uh, 83 whatever it is 100 per month per employee that nobody earns more than that then you're a-okay at meeting the requirements of the coronavirus statute for the uh, payroll protection program. In fact, I've heard where uh, people involved in drafting it hope that in order to push more money into the economy, that employers that can afford to with the PPP money will in fact provide either higher pay, coronavirus pay temporarily, or pay bonuses to employees. But just remember the cap per employee per month to make sure that you qualify for the maximum loan forgiveness. And if you didn't hear me the other day, as soon as the final regulations on forgiveness are issued, I will go over the highlights with you here on the show and we will post a complete guideline to forgiveness for PPP loans on clark.com.
1: Now, Kim, it's Hello. your turn. Hello, this is on behalf of Betsy from Louisiana, and she says, I know Bitcoins are a risky investment right now, but do you think that this is the wave of the future of money? And if so, what do you suggest we look out for so that we make sure we don't get left behind on this rapidly changing industry?
0: So no cryptocurrency is and what I consider to be real until the values of the cryptocurrency are stable and also that it is fully convertible into the uh, equivalent money issued by the government where you live. So what I mean by this is Bitcoin I call fake money because it can't be used routinely or easily converted day by day. A number of people have suffered raids and had their crypto money Bitcoin stolen from them with no way of recovering it and the values of Bitcoin have been wildly unstable up and down. If you think about real money, real money changes very little day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month but Bitcoin and its imitators have never achieved that kind of stability. So for now, investing in, I can't even call Bitcoin an investment. Speculating in Bitcoin needs to be money that is play money like you would use in Las Vegas. And eventually, there may be uh, cryptocurrencies that meet the tests of being fully convertible, stable, and safe. But no cryptocurrency has been that to date. Joel?
2: Clark, another Joel, Joel in Arizona, has a question. He says, we have a driving trip planned to visit Canada at the end of June. Will the travel restrictions be be removed by then?
0: I can only guess, but I would say likely that travel across the border from Canada to the U.S. and from the U.S. to Canada will be lifted when the infection rates uh, actually decline significantly in the United States. Canada is not having the infection rate problem that we're having, and we have not been able to go, if you've followed the public health aspect closely, we've not been able to go below R1. And it is a math formula of how many new infections we're having each day. We unfortunately in the United States are having a really rough ride with coronavirus. With 4% of the world's population, we are approaching 30% of the world's fatalities from coronavirus. And so we are having a more difficult time than other places. Uh, The Canadians would not be wise to let you in until we have actually bent our infection curve below an R of 1 probably an R of 0.5 and if you're not familiar and you want to understand more about how the infection ratios work you can use whatever search engine you use and see how that works but I would say right now it's too tough to call an opening of the border in June it's possible that for goodwill purposes Canada may reopen to the United States by then, but um, if I were the prime minister of Canada, I wouldn't do so till our rate of infections declined significantly from where they've been lately.
1: Kim? Nancy in Wisconsin says, I visited Costco for the first time recently with a friend who is a member. I am not a member. When checking out, the clerk insisted that my credit card could not be used to pay. They would only accept a credit card with the member's name. Is this correct? This sounds crazy to me.
0: No, that is, that is actually the way it works, is that um, Costco runs the stores essentially as a co-op. They make no money net of any significance on everything they sell. The idea, the design, is to run the warehouses on essentially a break-even basis for covering the rent, building the buildings, paying the employees, um, buying the products and then selling them with all the profit being from the memberships. So as a way to restrict purchasing to members, the member has to be there with you and the member has to pay. You cannot pay. I mean, they can pay and then you can turn around and give the member money to make up for what was purchased but also you're not known to them so if your credit card turned out you were not who you said you were it turned out to be a stolen card or you um, declined the charge disputed the charge Costco doesn't even know who to go back to or after it works the same way I should mention at the other warehouse clubs as well that using member pricing the member has to be present and it has to be the member's form of payment or cash to make the
2: purchases. Kim? It's me again. Oh, Clark.
0: I did it again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Joel? Let's go with Chris in Maryland. It says, when funding an emergency fund with three to six months of expenses, do you include any discretionary funding uh, that you spend in a month or just the monthly bills like mortgage, food, insurance, utilities, and things of that nature?
0: So the idea if you have an ironclad rainy day account it is the equivalent of your expenses including discretionary over that time period because it's not like there's not going to be any other expenses besides the ones you can automatically count on like rent or mortgage or car payment or insurance. So you base it on what you typically spend per month times the number of months you would like to have a cushion of security for in your rainy day account.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask and post it. And right now we have a question from Kim. Who are you asking a question for?
1: This is on behalf of Jim and Jim is from Texas. He says, hi Clark. I was just curious if you've heard anything about Amazon refunding prime customers for part of their membership, since they haven't been able to fulfill orders in the fast delivery way that they normally do. Once upon a time, I was able to get a month's credit from them for a shipment that took too long and was wondering if the same would apply here.
0: So Amazon is not as forgiving of their own shortcomings right now. And they now say the two-day delivery window, I mean, for a while it was one day in many metro areas for delivery. It's now two days from when they actually fill your order is the new language as I interpret it. So if you place an order today, and they don't get around to processing it till two days from now, your two days on delivery doesn't start till two days from now, not today. So Amazon is overwhelmed, they've had a lot of employees quit, they've had a lot who've chosen not to come to work, and they have somewhere close to 200,000 new inexperienced workers who've been hired, so the reliability from Amazon is not what it was. And um, it's something that Amazon is a, is a very, very aggressive company. They will get their reliability back, but your real power is to discontinue Amazon Prime. And something I keep meaning to talk about is Walmart's new competitive offering to Amazon Prime And I just keep slipping up doing that. So I'll talk about that on a future show so you know there is a strong alternative now available in the market to Prime.
2: Joel? Clark Laurie in Wisconsin says, my mother just heard that if you've not received your 2020 stimulus check yet this year, then you'll have to wait until 2021 in order to get it. Is that true?
0: That is not true. Um, Payments are going to continue, it looks like, through September. And you can go to irs.gov, and if the tool is working, you can go click and see where your check is or where your money is. And so it could be many months till you see yours, or even you'll go to the mailbox the next day and it'll be there. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And I wanted to talk about something that has caused distress in some people and that's the rules that are in place now that a lot of businesses have instituted. And I was very distressed at the horrific event that occurred at a family dollar store where people were being told to wear masks and a customer refused to wear a mask and then killed the employee who insisted that she wear a mask and I mean oh what a what a senseless brutal awful crime to occur because somebody didn't like being told to wear a mask. So the various requirements we're going to have that are going to be imposed in the workplace for people that are not working now but are being called back, for people that are working at home that are going to be called back to the office, we're going to have to get used to a continuously series of changing rules and procedures and private businesses that we do business with are going to have their own rules. Uh, As I mentioned days ago, we had several people who wrote very angry comments about the fact, who posted at various places on Clark.com, about the fact that Costco was requiring that all customers entering have to wear a mask and put restrictions on how many people a member can bring in with them and other things for the safety of fellow members and for their employees and there were people who said I'm never ever going to walk in Costco's doors again. So Whole Foods now has gone to a face mask requirement for customers and employees. The purpose of this is something that I have long-time familiarity with because in congested Asian cities, masks have been part of life for a good 20 years, and the reason is simple, that it reduces the spread of disease. In Asian countries where people are much more densely populated, there's been much lower incidence of seasonal flu in a lot of Asian cities and countries because of the widespread use and adoption of masks so it does take some getting used to and I was pretty resistant at first myself to wearing a mask and now I have a mask that feels comfortable and I'm adapting you know in life life will always throw us curveballs and it's how we deal with those curveballs that's key And the safety precautions we're being asked to take for coronavirus are really important to protect the ones we love, others we don't know, and ourselves. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.